This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet, and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. We are back again. They haven't banned me yet. Everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. That's the best way to keep up with the show. Follow the show's Instagram. Hope everybody had a good week. Hope everybody's doing well. Let's jump right into it. Last week in Washington, D.C., the city where I reside, my home, there was a, you know, uh, President Donald Trump had a had a going away party and quite a few of his supporters showed up. They showed up, they marched, they said what they said. You know, I believe this was organized by the right wing militia white supremacist group, the Proud Boys. They organized this 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 farewell march for President Trump. So they they came down to the city with a with a MAGA paraphernalia and they flags and they signs and you know they, they did what they did and they said what they said. Which really isn't going to change anything come come January. President Trump will no longer be president. So you can march and, and you can scream and you can yell and you can say what you want to say. So, you know, <laughs> the million MAGA march, as they call it, the million MAGA march came and went. And life goes on. Um, I, I did see a disturbing uh video that went viral of Trump supporters knocking a black woman unconscious, knocking her unconscious, which is, you know, despicable, cowardly. There is video of this. So if the people who committed this act of terror in the video, if they could be identified, they should be arrested. They knocked out a woman and left her in the middle of the street. Um, I did not see any videos of them uh, attacking or knocking out any any men, any black men. But there is a video of them attacking a black woman. So that just shows. uh, (laughs) Shows how tough they really are. Right. And other news. Mississippi Republican Price Wallace, who is a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, is quoted in saying that Mississippi should succeed from the union after Joe Biden's victory. He believes Mississippi should succeed from the union and become their own country because Donald Trump lost the election. Tells you all you need, (laughs) need to know about Mississippi because they voted this guy into office. The Kenosha shooter, Kyle Rittenhouse. Remember him? That's the young man, the 17-year-old with the AR-15 who was in Kenosha, Wisconsin, who 
shot and murdered two people because he claimed he had to uh, defend uh, businesses and private properties in Kenosha, Wisconsin, even though he's from Illinois, <laughs> went up there to to defend businesses. Ended up shooting and killing two people. Well, guess what? He just posted a two million dollar bill, two million dollar cash bond. He posted it and he is out. Now, here's the question. How did Kyle Rittenhouse come up with two million dollars cash bond? For those who don't 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 know how a cash bond works. Normally, if, if you get bail, you only got to come up with, like, I think, 10 percent of the bail. You could put up collateral. You could put up like your grandmama's house or, or a car or anything you have that's worth 10 percent of the value. But with a cash bond, you have to pay in cash. So he posted two million dollars in cash to get out of jail. Now, Kyle Rittenhouse, he was working as a retail security guard, probably make, I can guarantee you making less than $20 an hour. How did he get $2 million in cash? That's the question that we need to answer. It is being reported that a CEO for a company, it is being reported that Mike Lindale, CEO of MyPillow Incorporated, an actor Ricky Schroeder, <laughs> Ricky Schroeder, he used to play in uh, Silver Spoons from back in the day, helped him raise, helped him raise the money, helped him raise $2 million. So if you're a white, white supremacy pays, guys, if you and they stay on code. So you're a white supremacist and you shoot and kill two people in the name of white supremacy. If you need $2 million cash to get you out of jail, you'll get it quick. And he got it. And I'm assuming... Uh, He'll have no problem coming up with another couple million dollars if necessary to fight the case. So they're going to try to everything they can to get this guy off, especially now. Trump didn't lost the election. A lot of these so-called uh, conservatives are upset and they're going to protect their own. So if they got to raise 10 million dollars to, to, to beat this case, they'll they'll get it. Right, this is America. What else going on in the news that I want to cover today? Oh, yeah. Last but not least from the very entertaining thing that is president trump's twitter fresh off his twitter account he just tweeted and i quote big voter fraud information coming out concerning georgia stay tuned <laughs> all right guys that's that's all the news i really want to cover today let's get into today's topic let's talk about influencers Let's talk about what influences you. Who are you following and why? You have a social media. Who are you following? Uh, are you following athletes? Are you following entertainers? Are you following personalities from reality show t TV? Are you following authors, politicians? What motivates you? What influences you? Is it your political political ideology is it your cultural identity do you have strong religious beliefs do you have strong connections to the area where you're from why do we do the things that we do what drives us what pushes us what influences us to talk the way we talk to eat the way we eat to dress the way we dress to live the way we live right who are we looking up to 
and why? What influences do we have? Are they religious? Are they cultural? Right? Are are they higher? Is it a hierarchy? Is it political? Right? Why do we do these things? Why do I feel the need to look this way, eat this way, pray this way, think this way? Is it something that was ingrained in me? Or is it something that I came into on my own? Am I mimicking someone that I revere? Am I mimicking something that I hold in high regard? Or am I not? In the era of social media, we are all familiar with the term influencer. What is an influencer? Someone who has an influence over a large group of people. This day and age, if you're an if you are an influencer, you can make you can make a lot of money. It's a very lucrative future if you can influence large crowds. If you have millions, tens of millions, maybe even a hundred million followers on social media, hmm, we could use you to sell some products. We could use you to sell makeup, cars, clothes. We can use you to sell an idea. We can pay you to tell the people who follow you to purchase this thing or to think this way. Hmm. If 70 million people voted for you, you can use your platform to tell them that the election was rigged and that it was stolen. Hmm. There is power and influence. There is a level of control. There is a level of persuasion. Companies pay tens, well, not pay, invest tens of millions of dollars. In some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars. And marketing research to find out the psychology of their audience so they can sell them things. They want to be able to sell to you. They want to know what you're interested in, what you will purchase, how much you will pay for it. That's the psychology of selling. And a big part of that and the era that we are living in is social media, social media influencers. Recently, rapper Crazy Bone from the legendary Bone Thugs and Harmony he was on on his podcast and on another podcast, Hip Hop News Uncensored. He said this. Yeah, man, you know it, it, it's it's real. You know, I we did a we did a uh, an episode on our, on my podcast, Truth Talks, where we talked about a a secret meeting that was that was held in regards of the direction that hip hop would go. Mm-hmm. And um because, you know, uh the some of the major labels were investing in private prisons. So 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 you know we we you know we we spoke about how they made sure that gangster rap was pushed to the forefront more than any other genre of hip hop at the time to basically influence the youth into committing crimes and living a gangster life or a thug life or whatnot, you know what I'm saying? We 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 were all basically tricked, man. You know what I'm saying? What what we we thought we were 
expressing ourselves and getting frustration off our our chest about the way we were forced to live in these ghettos and in the slums. And at the same time, they're the ones that took our lifestyles and they glamorized it. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they put the lights and the cameras behind it and said, look, like, like this looks attracting, don't it? You know what I'm saying? But we were simply like, yo, this is where we come from. This is what we had to go through. It wasn't the fact that we were glamorizing it because in a lot of our songs, we told people like, you know, we glad we're not living that life no more. It wasn't fun. You know what I'm saying? We, we was forced to live that way, but when we got up out of it, we started to try like to turn around and like do positive things. And, you know, that's one thing I feel like people need to know. It was, you know, when they asked what happened to all the conscious rappers, that's what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Because they made it a point to make sure that those kind of messages and this kind of rap music would not be acceptable to the fans anymore. That was deep. So Crazy Bone is saying, hey, man, back in the early 90s, the music business, they had a collective effort to push gangster rap to the forefront. They invested in it. They put resources behind it. They said, we're going to make this the wave. We're going to make this a cultural influence amongst young black people who are into rap music. We are going to push this to the forefront and anything that isn't this. We are going to squeeze it out the market. Right. We're going to push this lifestyle. We're going to push these images on them. We're going to push these messages on them because we want to influence them to commit crimes. We want to influence them to go to prison. We want to influence them to be drug dealers and gangbangers and killers. We want to make that something that they can aspire to be as young men. Why? Because they had a financial interest in private prisons. Now, in order to make money off of a private prison, your private prison has to be full, at least 70 percent. Or you're not going to make any money back. A lot of these states that sign contracts with these private prisons in the contract. I know in the state of Arizona, within the contract, the contract says this prison has to be at least 70 percent full, which means you're going to build this big prison with these thousands of cells. Well, you have to put thousands of people in them. We cannot be naive and take for granted the level of 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 deception, the planning, the preparedness and the trickery that the enemy is willing to go. But let's get back to what he said about the rap music that wasn't that. There was a time where you had a lot of self-aware and you had a lot of what they would call conscious rap, right? Rappers with knowledge yourself. You had Public Enemy, right? Who rapped about social issues. You had KRS-One at the time, right? Knowledge Reign Supreme. You had Brand Nubian. They talked about knowledge yourself. You had, you know, X-Clan. You had the Poor Righteous Teachers. You know, you had a balance. You had your NWAs. You had your Ice Tees. 
You had your gangster rappers, but then you had a balance, right? You had NWA and you had Public Enemy, right? Two different sides of the spectrum, right? Both groups was young black men talking about issues that young black men deal with. Public Enemy was more on a social political level. NWA was more on, was, you know, was talking about the LA streets. But now you get major corporations, these record labels that decide they're going to get into the business of rap music. And when they decide they want to get into the business of rap music, they bring millions of dollars of resources, right? They bring a marketing department. They bring marketing research. They bring promotion, right? They bring ownership because once, you know, these rappers sign these record deals with these labels, then these labels own this music and they get to pick and choose who they decide they're going to make a star. Now they can put the resources behind you to make you a star if they choose to. So these record executives decided this genre of music, this gangster rap music, we're pushing this to the forefront. And it was by design so they can influence the minds of a generation. Now I'm old enough to remember when MTV didn't play rap videos at all. I'm going to take it back to MTV. I, I haven't watched MTV in years. From what I've heard is it's primarily become a station uh, with reality shows, you know, Teen Mom and um, Pauly D and all them. <laughs> they, they, they pretty much um, that's pretty much what you see on MTV all day nowadays. But I'm old enough to remember when MTV actually did play videos, but they never play rap videos. The only rap, you know, as a matter of fact, the only black people you would see on MTV was like uh, Ren DMC did that song with Aerosmith and then they would play some Michael Jackson. And then they had this show called Yo MTV Raps. Yo MTV Raps would come on, I think, 10 o'clock on a Friday night for an hour. Right. And that was a big deal because that's the only time you would see rap videos on MTV. And then a few years later, it was like this real transition between like in the really early between like 89 and 93 rap music rap music just got real big and then mtv made the switch where it was almost like they went to never playing rap videos to playing rap videos all day long that's all (laughs) that's the only thing they will play because it was like an explosion man right and it was like gangster rap was everywhere it was all over the place, almost like all overnight. And it was all over the TV, right? Not not just BET, not just Rap City now. It's all over MTV. BET had picked it up more. You know, the visuals were, were very important. And it was all, you know, they were putting big money in the rap videos now. You know, the early rap, go look at the early rap videos. You know, they were low budget, <laughs> you know. And then there was this period in the 90s where these rap videos started looking like Hollywood productions, they were making like multi-million dollar videos for these for some of these rappers. And when you sit back and you think about it, the explosion of what they would call the 90s, um, I believe the golden era for rap music because of what it did financially as, as a business and how it just exploded. At the same time, you had this explosion <laughs> in private prisons. It's not a coincidence, right? At the same time, you had... They were using the mess, the the music and the imagery of rap music 
to paint the picture of this is how this generation is. These young black males, this is how they drink. This is how they think. This is how they act. And when they do that on a national level through the national media, they do that so they can justify harming you. Right? They did that so they could justify police brutality. They did that so they could justify warehousing young black men in prison. Because, hey, they dress like Tupac. Right? They dress like Snoop Dogg. Right? This is how they dress. They all dress the same. They all got the same hairstyle. They all act the same. They all drug dealers and killers and gangbangers and criminals. So let's just sweep them all up, throw them all in prison, and our pockets will get fat. Now, the truly evil thing, the same people who were who were in the music industry, and I'm talking about the executives who were pushing this influence on young minds were the same people who were getting rich warehousing them in prison, right? So they was getting rich on both ends of it. They would sell them, the, they, they would sell them this gangster image, and then once the people bought into it, they would lock them up and then get rich off them being in prison as well. It's a constant cycle. Something to think about, man. Something to think about, something to think about, and something we have to deal with as a people. We have to deal with, we have to define what the culture is. Here's the issue we have let other groups define what our culture is. And that is a problem. Look, I'm black in America too. When you're black in America, you have a knowledge of self issue. Where did you come from? And I'm not talking about where my grandma's from Kentucky. No. Before we got here, where did we come from? Right. Who were we as a people? Can't just say Africa. Africa is a continent with over 200 countries. We don't know where. Before our people came to America, what language did we speak? Right? What was our religion? What was our cultural identity? What was our custom? What were our ways? Many of us really don't know. Right. Even if you could track your family tree back to slavery, the records are very poorly kept. And once you get to slavery, it's a dead end. Right. They're not going to tell you, you know, what country your your ancestor came from, what language they they spoke. You know, they just say, well, we bought a Negro. (laughs) All right. So we don't. It's an identity issue. So then being trapped here in the hells of North America without having a proper knowledge itself, we create where we create our culture based off what we know right your culture is more than jordan's <laughs> design of clothes and gangster rap it's deeper than that your culture is more than you know michael jordan and michael jackson and, and mike tyson it's deeper than that a culture is a is an identity of who you are what you are where you come from right and for us you know, it's, it's, it's been stolen. It's been lost. It's, it's been taken away from us. So then we as a people, we gravitate towards what we feel like is a black thing. So we felt like, you know, rap music, that's a black thing. That's our thing. And when we grab, when we grab on, on hold to something, because we're trying to find our identity, we go hard. You know, there's no other way to say it. All right. For us to gravitate toward rap music, we become the biggest rap music fans. We dress it. We try to live it. We imitate it because we feel like this is us. This is who we are. All right. 
we the biggest gangbangers. We become the biggest, we become the biggest hustlers, right? If we gravitate towards a fraternity, we become the, you know, we become the biggest AKAs and the biggest cute dogs and the biggest cappers, right? Depending on what we gravitate, if we gravitate towards the church, we become the biggest Christians, the biggest Muslims. It goes on and on and on, right? Depending on what we gravitate to, we feel like this is our identity, this is who we are. I can't just enjoy it. I really got to live it. So we have to define what our culture is. All right. When it came to rap music in the 90s, we let record what old middle aged Caucasian record executives define who we were as a people. And they decided we was gangsters and gangbangers and drug dealers and killers and criminals. They said, this is who you are. And we say, yep, let's go be that. Right. Not knowing that we was tricked. They didn't want public enemy to be in the forefront. They didn't want poor righteous teachers. They didn't want it to be a balance. And they definitely didn't want conscious music with a message of knowledge of self to be in the forefront, especially not public enemy because public enemy was, were playing a lot of messages from minister Farrakhan at the time, who at the time was waking a lot of, of black people up through his messages, through his teachings, through his speeches. I'm talking about late 80s, early 90s. This is way before the Million Man March. But a lot of young black men were gravitating toward his messages and public enemy being a very big group was broadcasting that message on a large scale. And a lot of people in the music industry definitely didn't like that. So come on, N.W.A. Come on, F the police. <laughs> Come on. We about to make y'all the next big thing. All right. And that's no slight towards um, those brothers. That's no slight towards NWA. Nice Cube. You know, we were all fans of those guys back in the day. I'm a fan of those guys to this day. Big shout out to Ice Cube with the work that he's been doing um, with the contract um, with Black America. Um, so that's that's not a diss towards them. We just talking about facts here. We talk about facts, facts, facts knowledge wisdom and understanding and we try to get a message out there and today's message is let's think about what we're influenced by and who is influencing us is it constructive or is it destructive especially in this age of influencers and social media because the people that you're following these influencers that you're following they're trying to influence you to do something keep that in mind and nine times out of 10, they're trying to sell you something. Anybody you follow who has millions of followers, they're trying to sell you something, even if it's an idea. Let's keep that in mind. Right. We got to use our brains. We got to know who we are. We can't always fall for the trick. Right. Satan is a liar and the truth is not in him. And he will try to trick you every time. But we can't always fall for the trick. We got to get smarter. We got to be wiser. Right. Your enemy is going to do what your enemy has always done. You got to be smarter than your enemy. This has been today's episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. Once again, everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. And you can get all of my work 
on Amazon.com. Systemic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. Book one, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. Book two, and my first novel, Exodus 2035. Book three, all available on Amazon.com. If you want to support the show on a monetary level, the cash app is up. Dollar sign UK pod dollar sign UK pod. If you enjoyed today's show, if you enjoyed the content, go ahead and drop a dollar on that cash app. Let's practice group app economics. I'm just asking everybody to do their part. Go ahead, drop a dollar on that cash app. It will be greatly appreciated. Till the next time, guys. If we touch the hearts and minds of the rappers, they could create a revolution overnight. Overnight. Literally overnight. But to attack them and put them down. Talking about the language that they use. When you're acting like what they're talking about. But to the youth who are under the sound of my voice, you too have a responsibility. You do have a responsibility to wake up, clean up, and stand up. And give liberation lyrics to our people that will uplift them and not degrade them and put them down. Because if we...